Hello, I'm Jesse Walls from Eaglehawk Presbyterian Church. We're a church seeking to make disciple-making disciples of Jesus. Thank you to Life FM for continuing to host us. Today, as we look to God's Word, our reading is Habakkuk chapter 2, so you can begin looking that up now. This sermon was recorded live at Eaglehawk Presbyterian Church. After reading the passage, we'll hear the children's talk. So, if you have children, make sure they're listening. And then we'll go to the sermon. And so let's read Habakkuk chapter 2. I will take my stand at my watchpost and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. And the Lord answered me, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. But the righteous shall live by his faith. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol, like death, He has never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. Shall not all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him and say, Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own, for how long, and loads himself with pledges? Will not your debtors suddenly arise and those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be spoiled for them. Because you have plundered many nations, all the remnant of the peoples shall plunder you. For the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities, and all who dwell in them. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house, to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have forfeited your life. For the stone will cry out from the wall, and the beam from the woodwork respond. Woe to him who builds a town with blood, and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, is it not from the Lord of hosts that people labour merely for fire, and nations weary themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Woe to him who makes his neighbours drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk, in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup at the Lord's right hand will come around to you, and utter shame will come upon your glory. The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, as will the destruction of the beasts that terrified them. For the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. What profit is an idol, when its maker has shaped it a metal image, a teacher of lies? For its maker trusts in his own creation, when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, Awake! To a silent stone, Arise! Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. And now, it's over to the children's talk. Hello, good to have all of you kids here with us. You know, church wouldn't be church unless we had you guys here. just wouldn't be the same. 
It's really good to have all of you kids here with us worshipping our God. Now, a lot of you here weren't here last week, and last week we started a new series going through the book of Habakkuk. He's a prophet in the Old Testament. His name's a bit hard to say, and it's a bit hard to spell. You need to work out where's the double letter. It's very tricky. I think I finally worked out how to spell Habakkuk now. I think I've written it down enough. But Habakkuk teaches us something really important. He teaches us that God will make everything wrong right. Can you do that with me? Can you point up to God will make everything wrong? Thumbs down. God will make everything wrong right. Thumbs up. Good job. Now, I have on my phone here a timer, and I'm going to hit play. And now the timer is going. Do you trust me that I've got a timer on my phone? You don't trust me? No. Oh, gee. You don't trust me? That, are you sure that you're not going to trust me that there's a timer? You trust me. Okay. Okay. Well, I'm not going to show you my timer. You do? Oh, that's good. I'm so glad that some of you do. We'll see. I won't tell you how long the timer has to go, and we'll just see if it turns off. If, if it if it turns on, if it goes off, I don't know what the correct word is, goes off, if the time will go off. Let's see what will happen. The phone is here waiting for the timer to go off. But listen, let me tell you a bit about Habakkuk. Right Now Habakkuk, he was a prophet in the Old Testament and he was looking around, we saw this last week, he was looking around at all the people around him and he was seeing people doing bad things. The people of God weren't doing what God said. And so Habakkuk, he prayed to God and said, God, why aren't you doing anything? Have you ever done that before? Have you ever, maybe it wasn't to God, maybe it was to your parents, have you ever looked at your brothers or your sisters and said, Mom, Dad, why are you doing something? They're doing the wrong thing. Have you ever done that? Yes. Yes. Yes, we have that happen in our house. Yes, and so Habakkuk, he was getting really upset, wondering why isn't God doing anything? And so God said to Habakkuk, I'm doing something. You haven't seen it yet, but I'm doing something. You see that army all the way over there? That army, I'm going to bring them over here and they are going to punish my people. And Habakkuk, he heard this message and he went, what? They are worse than us. How can that possibly be your plan? To make people who are worse than us, to punish us. Aren't you going to do something about them? They're worse. They should be punished. And so God, in this chapter now, God starts talking about what he's going to do. What is he going to do to them? He is going to punish them. All those things that they've done to others, he is going to bring on them. They were really violent. This enemy army over here, they were really violent. And so God was going to make them experience violence. Other people were going to defeat them. Another army was going to come and destroy them. Does that sound fair? 
Mm, I think it sounds fair. They're getting what they did to other people. They took things from other people. They're going to have everything that they had taken from them. It's all very, very interesting. It's all very good to remember that God promises to make everything wrong right. Ooh, that was good timing, wasn't it? The timer went off. You didn't know how long it would take. You believed. You believe me. Good job. The timer went off. You had no idea how long it was going to take. But I said it was going to go off, didn't I? And in the chapter that we're looking at now, God's been saying, listen, I'm going to defeat this army that's going to come and defeat Israel. And it's going to seem like it takes a long time. That took a long time, didn't it? I felt like it took a long time. I was running out of things to say. It felt like it took a long time. And God says to Habakkuk, it'll feel like it takes a long time for me to come and judge these people. But believe me when I say, I'm going to come and I'm going to, God's going to come and he's going to make everything wrong, right. It might take a long time, but God will make everything wrong, right. Okay, let's pray that we would trust that, because that will really help us when we see all the wrong things in our world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can trust you, that you will make everything wrong right, that you will care for your people, that you will punish sin. We thank you that in Jesus you make everything wrong right. Please help these kids to remember that. Help them to look forward to the day when they see Jesus and Jesus comes and makes everything wrong right. May they know him and love him. May Jesus make everything wrong right in them. Forgive us all of our sin that we would live with you forever. We pray this in Jesus' name. Well, let's pray as we come to God's word. Do you pray with me? Our Father, we pray that you would give us ears to hear, and eyes to see what it is that you are saying to your church. We thank you for Habakkuk and for his words and for your words to him. Please help us. Please give us wisdom, give us understanding as we look to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Did Hitler escape justice? He became Chancellor of Germany in 1933 he took the title Führer in 1934 and kick-started World War II in 1939 by invading Poland. But we all know that if he'd just started a war, he wouldn't be as notorious as he is now. He wouldn't be the ultimate example of evil that preachers always grab onto when they want to give an ultimate example of evil. My guess is that the name Vladimir won't decline in popularity, uh, no matter the outcome of the Russian war with Ukraine. But while the name Adolf grew in popularity during World War II, 
the name hardly exists now. Because, along with starting the Second World War, Hitler and his Nazi party were also responsible for the Holocaust. The imprisonment, starvation and murder of six million Jews and millions of others. He was involved in uh, the euthanasia and and the forced sterilisation of those who were considered unfit for society, either mentally or physically. All his efforts to lift uh, Germany up as the power of the world and the promotion of the master race. Finally, the Allied powers took Berlin and in his bunker, Hitler shot himself in the temple and according to his wishes, his followers took him up to the gardens, doused his body in petrol and set him on fire. Did Hitler escape justice? He never spent a moment in custody. There was no trial, no prison time or execution. More injustice than we can ever even imagine was committed in his name and and there still managed to be people, neo-Nazis, who hold Hitler up as someone to be honoured. While the evil of Nazism was defeated in the war, it still limps along. Will God ever end evil? How long will we need to put up with the evil that we face every day in the news and on the street and in our hearts? God assures us in his conversation with Habakkuk in chapter 2 that evil will come to an end. Habakkuk 2 tells us, wait for God's justice to come. Justice will come. God will make everything wrong right. So wait for God's justice to come. Why? Because in verses 1 to 5, our first heading, we're told God's justice is inevitable. In chapter 1, Habakkuk had complained about, uh, about the injustice and the violence in Judah and that God wasn't doing anything about it. Then God said that he was sending the Babylonian army to come take them out and Habakkuk was confused. How could God use them? And chapter 1 verse 13 remains silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he. Then chapter 1 verses 14 to 17, Habakkuk imagines that the uh, the Babylonians, they're fishermen and the nations are fish. And he asks uh, God... Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? In other words, are they going to get away with their injustice? And so chapter 2, verse 1, Habakkuk is, is on the lookout waiting for God to answer. Now, sometimes when we read words like these, we can forget just how emotional they are. But delayed justice is often an issue filled with pain and mourning and hopelessness. As as a murder victim's family wait, helpless, while the police investigate the scene and interview witnesses, the impact on their lives is dramatic. And if the case 
grows cold, what do the family do then? As justice gets further and further away, and it's more and more unlikely that they will ever see someone charged. See, they know that justice isn't just this intellectual ideas for, uh, for philosophers and for preachers. This is real life. Delayed justice is full of pain. Ask the family of Madeleine McCann. Even with all the questions that are out there about her parents, at least her wider family is grieving this delay in justice. But God says his justice is inevitable. Habakkuk's told to write this down on tablets, make it clear so the one who reads who reads it can run and deliver the message. Verse 3, For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. God's justice is coming. It is inevitable. So wait for it. God is the sovereign God. He appointed the times and the season. He he, has determined the rising and the falling of nations, the exact places they will dwell. He sends the rain. He sends the hail. Justice will will come at the time God appointed. We want it to be faster. We don't understand why his clock runs slower than ours. But while his justice sometimes seems to us to be as slow-moving as a glacier, it will come. Any attempt to stop it will fail. The Babylonians are arrogant. They're puffed up, verse 4. They're drunk on victory, verse 5. They'll gre- they greedily swallow up the nations around them like... Sheol, the place of the dead, swallows up the dead. See, God's justice is inevitable. God will make everything wrong right, which is why we, as God's people, must learn patience and persistence in prayer. God doesn't work according to our timetable, but he is the eternal, holy God. When Adam and Eve sinned, he promised that one day the seed of the woman would come and would crush the head of the serpent. One day, Babylon and all who stand against God and his people, all those who commit atrocities, they will be exposed and they will be judged. And if we, ourselves people so prone to evil, if we want justice to come, How much more do you think that the holy God of heaven desires it? Are you persistent in prayer, like Habakkuk? Are you waiting for justice, for answers to the whys of life? Why, God, did you allow that? Why, God, didn't you stop that? Do you call out to God? Are you like the persistent widow in Jesus' parable who kept on bugging that unrighteous judge for justice? 
She ended up getting justice from an unrighteous judge because she kept bothering him. How much more can we be confident that justice will come? If you're trusting in Jesus, then you are a child of God. The just judge of all the earth, Jesus, is your older brother. But he will bring his justice in his timing. He is far above us. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. He has a plan for the intricate details of this world. And we don't know what he's doing except that all his enemies will be made a footstool for his feet. To him, a thousand years are as a day. He is patient. And his justice is inevitable. And so cry out to him. Cry out to him. Every day cry out to him for justice as you see Injustice in the news. When you read of the persecuted church and their sufferings. When you suffer injustice yourself as his child. Cry out to him. And trust him. Wait for God's justice to come. Because his justice is inevitable. And he will make everything wrong right. And while we wait for God's inevitable justice. We can know in our second heading, verses 6 to 20, that God's justice is appropriate. In this section, God declares five woes on the Babylonians. Five times you see that word woe come up. We're not going to go through them in detail, because even if you're not sure about all the historical details, you can at least get the gist. What God proclaims is entirely appropriate. What goes around comes around. Look at that first part of verse 6. Shall not all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him? This kingdom, which has been the terror of the world, will instead be the source of mocking and ridicule. I almost hesitate to make the comparison because I don't want to offend anyone. I don't know the links that people have here. And I'm certainly not going to say that I think this, but I think that God is saying that Babylon is going to be a bit like the Irish. You know that stereotype, no doubt it's unfair, but the Irish, they're all drunkards and they believe in leprechauns and they dress in green and they eat potatoes. They're the butt of the joke. That's Babylon. Woe 1, verses 6 to 8. God condemns Babylon for plundering the nations. Those who've plundered, those who've been plundered, will plunder them. Woe 2, verses 9 to 11. God condemns them for seeking the safety of their own people at the expense of others. Woe 3, verses 12 to 14. God condemns them for establishing their kingdom with the blood of the nations. But, verse 13. Is it not from the Lord of hosts that that peoples labour merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In other words, 
there's only room for one eternal kingdom. Babylon would fall barely remembered in the pages of history. The fourth woe, verses 15 to 17, they loved to shame those that they'd conquered, for God will shame them. The fifth woe, verses 18 to 20, they've made idols, but those idols are useless. They can't breathe, teach, move. But, verse 20, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Unlike the idols of this world, God really does reign. God kept his promise. It took 70 years after Babylon defeated Jerusalem and dragged their people into exile. But finally the time came. The Persians came. This judgment happened in history. Babylon was defeated. The Nazis were defeated. And Nazis have been captured and gone through the International Criminal Court even in the last few years. They thought that they had escaped justice. But justice finally caught up with these old men. These woes show us that God's justice is appropriate. And sometimes his punishment is in that person's lifetime. But even though we might experience some justice in this life, it doesn't always hit the mark. How can an old man, finally sentenced for being a Nazi, going to jail for a few years until he dies, how can that be justice for what he did? When Babylon fell, the king and the army who were doing all of these evil things in Habakkuk's time, they were already dead, victorious. For God's justice to be inevitable and appropriate, there must be judgment after death. These passages which speak of God bringing justice can't only be speaking about the here and now they also hint at hell. Now, people object to hell, to the idea of hell. And some churches get rid of the idea entirely. It's an emotional issue because we can't stand the thought of, of the people that we love, let alone ourselves, suffering through hell. And when we remember how the Bible describes hell, it just gets worse. Eternal, conscious suffering. Punishment with, with no end, no hope. Maybe we'd be okay with hell if it was just for people like Hitler and his Nazis. But not for your average person who hasn't broken any serious laws and is, is a nice person with a nice family. We long for justice, but we don't understand how eternal, conscious suffering and punishment, how that, we, we don't understand how that is appropriate. We don't appreciate our crime. See, this isn't like a parent grounding their child for three years because they've taken a lolly from the jar without permission. 
That would be unfair, unjust. God is always fair. His judgment is always measured and appropriate and right. We have a problem with hell because we only think about how we have treated other people. We don't think about how we've treated God. We don't understand the glory and the wonder and the goodness of God. He is deserving of everything. All of our love, devotion, praise, honour. He generously gives us life. He gives us every breath, every heartbeat, our taste buds, our touch receptors, Our home, our clothes, money. He's given us our mental abilities, our physical abilities. And what do we do with everything that he has given us? We use them to reject him. We imagine that we know how to live life better than him. We lie. We live for ourselves rather than our maker. We hurt the people that he made and loves. We love other things more than him. We live for money and comfort and holidays. He made us and we despise him with every breath. If you punched someone on the street, you'd get in trouble. Punch a police officer, you'll get into more trouble. Punch King Charles, and it will be even worse. And because we have sinned against the eternal God, someone of infinitely more value than, Prince, than King Charles, our punishment should be eternal. And even if we only think about justice between people, we should actually be glad of hell. Because it means that wrongs will be righted. In this life, murderers get away with it. Or maybe they'll spend a few years in jail. I know people, Christians and not, who have been lied about and had their reputations tarnished, rumours spread. But what does Jesus, the judge of the earth, promise? Matthew 12, 36, I tell you, On the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. We long for justice from our earliest days. Children scream because they're convinced that something's not fair. We get angry because we have been treated badly. And God promises perfect, appropriate justice. He promises to make everything wrong right. And he knows what that looks like far better than us. But we'll need to wait for his justice to come. But we have a problem. Have you realised that? We have a problem. Jesus is coming as the judge and he will judge all sin. Not just the sin done against us or the sins that we think are really bad, you know, those sins that other people do. Jesus is so good, 
so holy and so concerned with justice that our sins need to be dealt with too. We have sinned against others. We have told lies about them. We have spoken harsh words. We have spoken with lust. We've been greedy and selfish. We have wronged the people around us. And we've sinned against God. We've rejected his ways. We've made idols of our own desires. That holiday in France. Our family's success and comfort. We've lived for them instead of him, the one who gave us every breath. We deserve justice. We've sinned against the eternal God, a crime that is far worse than anything that we can imagine. We, we deserve hell. But thankfully, that brings us to our third heading, looking back at verse 4. God's people are saved. Look at that second half of verse 4. But the righteous shall live by his faith. In a chapter full of the arrogance, the violence and judgment of the Babylonians, there is comfort for God's people. There is escape a way to live. It's the way of righteousness and faith. But how can we do that? How can we be righteous and live? We've already established that we're not righteous. We are also sinners deserving hell. And if you think that you're not, you're kidding yourself. How can we be saved by trusting God. And just like Abraham was counted righteous by his faith, we are too. Not because our faith is powerful, but because of the one that we're trusting in. Having a strong faith in your toaster to perfectly toast your, your piece of bread won't save. Having Faith in a magic stone to purify your soul isn't enough. Our faith can only save us if it's placed in the one who can save. Paul quotes these words in Romans 1 and Galatians 3 as he talks about the gospel of Jesus Christ. That he he died on the cross. He took the punishment for our sin. Habakkuk 2.16 warns that God will give the wicked the cup of his wrath and judgment. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prayed about that cup. He didn't want that cup, but at at the cross, he drank it to its dregs. At the cross, Jesus took the filth of our sin, and when we trust him, He gives us his righteousness. Our relationship with God is restored. We are right with him, and so we live. We escape judgment because the judgment has already been taken by Jesus. Every sin will be judged. 
God will make everything wrong right. The only question is, who will bear the punishment for your sin? Will it be you on the day that Jesus comes again in glory? Will you be standing in your own filth and be cast into the judgment of of hell? That judgment that we hate to even think about. Or will Jesus already have taken your judgment as he offers right now? Have you placed your trust in him? Has he taken your sin? As you wait for God's justice to, justice to come, as Habakkuk 2 urges us, are you able to rest knowing that justice has already been done to your sin? Has your conscience been cleansed? Guilt taken away? Do you know the joy of assurance knowing that you have been saved by the one who is more powerful than your sin? At the cross, justice has been done. Rejoice in that while you wait for God's final justice to come on an unjust world because no one will escape justice. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, we thank you that we can trust this news. We thank you that justice will be done, that everything that is wrong will be made right, that no one will escape. But we thank you that in Jesus we can have our sin punished beforehand. We can live as those who are righteous because Jesus has died the death of the sinner. Please, our God, fill us with this hope. Fill us with joy at this good news. Lord, may any here who do not know you come to believe, even this morning. May they know that these words are true. May they hear this warning. And may they believe. Our God, shape us and change us. Make us to rejoice that Jesus drank that cup of your wrath so that we would not have to, so that we instead would drink the cup of your blessings. Our God, give us joy, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm Jesse Walls from Eagle Hawk Presbyterian Church, and I pray you've been blessed as you've spent this time in God's Word. Next week, we'd love to have you join us in person for our service at 10am. I hope to see you there. And as always, if you'd like to make a comment on what you've heard today, you have a question, or you're looking for a church, then please get in contact with us. Our website is eaglehawkpc.org.au. You can also contact us through Facebook or Instagram. God bless you.